This is Ken Lubin, the host and founder of the Executive Athletes Podcast, and welcome to this week's episode. I want to thank everyone that's been listening, and thank you for the comments and feedback. They're awesome and an incredible help in this journey to making this podcast better and better each episode. Once again, this is unscripted and unedited, as I believe it it is the best way to get to really know the guest. Welcome to today's episode. Today's guest is Joe Jacoby. He is an Olympic gold medalist and performance coach who collaborates with leaders and teams by getting them outside the day-to-day rush of life and bringing focus to what truly matters most. And I can't wait to chat a little bit about that. He's got some pretty unique strategies and concepts to help people to perform their best without compromising their lives by showing them how to slow down, do less, and embrace simplicity. Joe continually continually refines and incorporates these principles into his own life in the Pyrenees Mountains next to the 1992 Olympic canoeing venue in Spain in Spain in the bar, near Barcelona. Um, it's actually the same canoeing venue where alongside his canoeing partner Scott Strasberg, Joe won America's first Olympic, uh, first ever Olympic gold medal in the sport of whitewater canoe slalom at the 1992 Olympic Games. So, Joe, welcome to the show. Ken, it is great to be here, and finally, just great to be talking with you. No, it's, it's an honor. I know we've been going back and forth throughout the years and never really connected, so this is super cool. But tell us a little bit about who Joe is. Yeah, no, thank you. And uh, look, I think one of the great things about getting to have this conversation with you is also – being familiar with this wonderful community that you've shepherded along on LinkedIn and, uh, and beyond LinkedIn with people who value um, sport and movement and health and wellness, you know, kind of incorporated into doing better uh, in business and in life. And I, it's incredible to see how this community has developed. And so when you asked that question about who Joe is, like, it's been that's been my own journey over the last, you know, 10 years or so. I mean, if I just think about the last 10 years ago, um, 10 years ago, I was the chief executive officer uh, of USA Canoe Kayak, one of, you know, the national governing body for the sport of canoeing underneath the umbrella of the U.S. Olympic Committee. And I kind of saw my life kind of headed down a path of career in sports and helping other athletes uh, win medals in the Olympic Games and that just evolved and pivoted into something very different. And, and honestly, I think, you know, my kind of refining my own enjoyment and sport and movement and health and wellness had a huge uh, influence on the way I was kind of seeing the world and really what was going to make me happy, not just between 40 and 50 years old, but between 50 and 60 and hopefully 60 and 70 and, kind of beyond and so I guess when you ask about you know who Joe is like at least this little snapshot in, in life I just I just turned 51 this past uh, weekend and um, I made a quality of life move to uh, the Spanish state of Catalonia three uh, three years ago and I, I do live next to the uh, Olympic venue where my canoe partner and I won the Olympic Games but I kind of use the um, a lot of my experiences having navigated whitewater river rapids for the last 40 plus years 
combined with this spirit and culture of the people, the Catalan people in the Pyrenees to just offer people and whether the people I write for or the people that I coach or the people that I love and care for the most, uh, just a different lens and some just sort of a different way of experiencing life. And that's kind of where I am. Uh, and literally, I think that's kind of appropriate. I, today, I'm literally sitting next to the Mediterranean Sea uh, on, a, on a holiday in Catalonia, just kind of watching the waves come in as you and I have this conversation. And I love that. I love the fact that you're helping other people grow, but you're still growing, right? In your 40s and 50s and, and beyond. And I really think that's probably the best way to, to really be. It's You don't really start learning stuff until you're that age anyways and, and, and really start finding your way, right? I think a lot of people just sort of go the way of society and the way that they think that they should go. But when in reality, you should be following what your intuition says. It, I mean, the words are so true. I think the path to actually doing that is just, you know, the things that we kind of bring along on our journey with us, whether they we intended to bring them along or they were just sort of brought on to us by literally generations of our family before us that just kind of, uh, these are all things we kind of bring along in our bags as we make this journey. But I will stay. I think one of the things I, I have a couple of clients that just are had just turned forty years old or are about to turn forty years old, and they they talk about this kind of change in life perspective. And uh, I think about the differences between my life between thirty and forty, and how different forty to fifty was. And gosh, Ken, like, I'm just super excited to see how different 50 to 60 is going to be, you know? And uh, yeah, there is some, uh, so I hope, I think we all want to believe there's some wisdom that comes along with that. I think one of the things that's really interesting about the community that you've brought along uh, here and talking about, you know, executives and leadership, you know, people who have a real interest in sport is that. Um, what tends to happen for so many people is that they feel like they get wiser, but you know, the body and the body's naturally going to have its way of slowing down or adapting and changing. But by, by valuing health and wellness and really kind of incorporating that practice into our life, we actually give our bodies like a better chance to be like a part of that expansion of wisdom, you know, and to kind of keep that body mind uh, a light body, mind, and soul, you know, body, mind, and spirit alignment going uh, a little bit further as we get older and we discover how to do new things with it. And so, yeah, we can try to do things like qualify for the Boston Marathon or run a personal best in a, a triathlon. But there's just, there's a bigger game at play that I think, you know, that we're all, that sport kind of helps us to figure out. And it's nice because as we get wiser, we're kind of doing our best to keep our, our physical capacity in shape to enjoy what life is bringing to us as we get older. No, and it's so true. It's, and I think it's, and it's sort of fun if you embrace it, the fact that it's actually fun versus, oh my God, I'm getting older. Like, you know, society tells you to go get Botox and you should be going the other direction and trying to look younger and do everything. It's like, no, embrace that it's happening and embrace, like you said, your newfound wisdom, number one. Number two, I love to call it sort of 
old man fitness as well, right? It's yeah, something yeah. you can't you can't beat no matter what. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And by the way, I would also add in, you know, what I see over here in, in Catalonia, and I say this respectfully, old man fitness, old woman fitness. And it's just like they're just some of the the healthiest people I I've ever come across. And it just creates such a great model for living you know i think you you mentioned these words in my introduction these uh, the words simple slower and less and that really is kind of a a, a, not just an observation but really a, a tribute to what i noticed about the way men and women and families live and grow in the pyrenees mountains in catalonia and um I know. I mean, I, I think it's great to have ambitious goals. And, you know, if you work in sales, you want to double sales. Or if you want to run, you know, a, a marathon, you know, uh, a couple minutes faster next year than you did this year. Having ambition is, is great. Uh, you know, one of the, the very best endurance athletes in the world, uh, Killian Jornet, you know, a, a mountain trail runner, and he does a lot of other sports incredibly well, but world champion in mountain trail running. He comes from Catalonia, and, you know, he shares so much of this kind of wisdom in his conversations uh, with, with, uh, with, with people and in interviews that he does, the documentaries he does, the books that, uh, that he writes, that sometimes just figuring out these elements of simple, slower, and less can be a great lens, like a great process by which to actually do the things you want to do, even if those things include wanting to do more or expand or grow something, that even just finding out, figuring out what doesn't belong, what is complicated, what is negative, and figuring out how to push those things aside. You know, the people who I live around in, in, in Catalonia seem to figure that part out really, really well. No, that's awesome. Let's step back to that and actually talking a little bit about um, that slower, right? And sort of embracing life and making life simpler because I think, to to be honest with you, I think this whole pandemic has actually forced people to actually do that. Um, Yeah. Unless, you know, unless you're like me, right? Where you feel like you need to double down and and try to... uh, you know, change everything, but it's, I think, and no, to be honest, my wife and I talk about it and it's like, you know what, do we really want to go back to where it was? And I think this sort of slowing down and reflecting and putting priorities and shifting priorities is a huge thing. You know, I mean, if I could just sort of indulge, you know, your imagination for a minute and the imagination of people listening along, I think, if, if you could imagine like a white, white water river rapids, you know, like a raging river that's just, you know, is constantly moving, it's moving fast, it's like this very powerful, uncontrollable medium. And then on that, those white water river rapids, you put out, you hang wires over the river and from the wires hang down these poles and you maneuver between the poles and that's what whitewater slalom racing is, canoe slalom racing is, which is the sport that my part, canoe partner and I won the Olympics in in 1992. And you would think, you know, pragmatically, that to be really good at navigating um, these really strong, powerful changes, you know, changing forces of nature, 
that you just throw yourself into the big raging rivers all the time and you just sort of get more comfortable with it. But the real counterintuitive truth to it is, is that the very best whitewater canoeing athletes in the world, everyone who's ever won a gold medal in the Olympics in this discipline puts in an extraordinary amount of time paddling on flat water where they can simplify the process, where they can remove the obstacles and really perfect the technique in a situation that they can completely control. And then as you improve your technique, you take you know, your newfound skills and your newfound development and you put yourself situationally into the river where you're gonna be navigating these uncontrollable forces. So like that, like that literally is the process by how athletes succeed at the Olympic level, literally stepping up onto the top step of the Olympic podium. It's not by just throwing yourself into the hardest, toughest, most challenging circumstances all the time, but it's actually perfecting the small little techniques and controlled situ you know, uh, circumstances like flat water. And, you know, that way you don't have to be thinking about that rock that's coming at you really quickly or if I flip over because and I'm going to rake my head over these shallow shoals, you know, on the bottom of the river. That doesn't happen on flat water. And I, and I think that to me is also kind of a part of the essence of simple, slower and less that even if you want to be the very best whitewater river canoeist in the world and make no mistake, we are all as human beings navigating some kind of uncontrollable force of nature, force of energy, this river of life, so to speak. Yeah, to be good at it, we don't just throw ourselves into the hardest part of the river. We gotta find the real calm areas and perfect the technique in those areas. And, you know, a lot of things, stuff that I've really been thinking about recently as well is sort of flow, right? And, you know, flow yes. in so many different ways. It's flow state, but actually going with the flow of the river versus fighting the flow of the river. Well, the, you know, it's, it's, it's so, I mean, the, the state of flow, I mean, really does play into white, whitewater canoeing. And, you know, it's, it's kind of an interesting sport in that the river, the energy of the river is so strong that like when you realize you can never be stronger than the river, then you begin to figure out that doing well is how do I tap into the strength and power of something that is way stronger than I am. My canoe partner and I, we were the smallest, uh, we were in a doubles canoe, a two-person canoe, and we were the smallest doubles canoe team at the Olympic Games. We were competing against guys that were much bigger and stronger than we were. And yeah, and I think finding flow, like a lot of my competitors would show up on the day of the race and they had this mentality like, today I am going to beat the river. I'm gonna crush the river. And my partner and I just knew like, we were too small to do that. And we literally just looked at the river like a dance partner. It's something that we had to work with to kind of accomplish our goal. So finding flow kind of played out really differently for us. It's like, how do we absorb the energy of something that's much bigger and stronger than us and channel it into what we're doing? And yeah, if you're moving your, your body or your life or your boat at a million miles an hour, it becomes a lot more difficult to feel what's going on. It's like, you gotta slow down to actually feel what the energy is. And then when you feel that pressure on you and you actually feel that good energy on you, 
then you build alignment with it and you start to go faster. And like, that's the best feeling in the world for me. That, that is the essence of flow for me. So let's chat a little bit about what you're doing right now with Sarah Milby, you know, with Sarah Milby <laughs> yes. over at Valor, right? And you got connected via this podcast and everything that's going on and it's the world of networking and similar yes. mindsets and, and people love to, they love to hang out with people that are like them. And I love what you're doing with these guys. Tell us a little bit about um, taking performance to the next level, both in business, life, and sport. Can I just got to just send out the biggest thank you to you and just how grateful I am for that conversation you had with Sarah. I think it was about um, almost two years ago that you guys recorded the conversation and that podcast went live. And after that, I really wanted to meet Sarah. And it wasn't long after that, that I applied to be a performance coach for Valor Performance, the company that Sarah founded in which she's the uh, president and chief executive officer of. And so at Valor, uh, we have, um, we have a big team of performance coaches that are helping sales leaders and doctors and technology leaders, uh, you know, work with the challenges of business and life to, to perform their very best. And about half of our coaches at Valor uh, are either, you know, Olympians, Paralympians, or professional athletes that can really coach. And then we also have about half our coaches that come from uh, psychology, sports psychology, and that are just, um, they are just obsessed and cultivating just new ways and methods and models for, for performing better. And our coaching community at Valor is just uh, what you introduced me to, and I'll talk about the client work in a minute, but our, our community of coaches, what those people bring to my life, it, I just came and put it into words. They just make me so much better and they make my life so much happier. Collectively, you know, what happens is that we get really good at figuring out how to transfer um, experiences from our background and our kind of skills in coaching to helping our clients, you know, do better. I will say at Valor, uh, most of my clients are doctors. So I work with a lot of doctors. You should know I've never opened up a medical textbook in my entire life. I've never been to medical school, but you really quickly learn how much alignment there is between doctors and Olympic athletes. You know, there's, there's a lot of innovation. There's a lot of competition. There's a lot of pressure to perform. And, you know, as a society and culture, oh gosh, Americans, you know, we, we love doctors and we're so grateful for them. And we, we really do kind of put them up on the pedestal and those white jackets they wear are symbolic of something very special. I think for me, it's just really easy for me to see the person underneath the white jacket and really kind of have conversations with that person. You know, these are people who want to be present for their kids. Uh, they want to be around to live life. They want to be a part of a good working environment. And so, yeah, we kind of figure out how to have a very, uh, like a conversation, a transfer, a transfer of values, a transfer of skills, um, and a way of just sort of uh, uh, reflecting and reframing kind of what's happening in, in our life. And we just walk away from those conversations as doctors and as uh, Olympians and coaches as better people. And yeah, what, what's happening at Valor, I, I, you know, all of our conversations with our clients are, you know, that we have are these one-to-one -one conversations. But I always tell people, 
we're not recording these conversations. You know, they're held in the strict, you know, in the strictest of confidence. But we're going to walk away from these conversations and we're going to go out in the world and we're going to be just a little bit better and have a little bit better disposition for how we see what we're doing and how we're kind of noticing blind spots in our life that maybe we didn't notice before. And that's going to serve the people we want to serve a little bit better, whether those are patients, those are our spouses, those are our children, those are our colleagues, those are our mentors. It just goes on and on. And, and you know, I think that's really kind of at the root of what I absolutely cherish about what we're doing at Valor Performance. So you're talking to all these, to these doctors, right, right now. And yeah. as you can imagine, I'm sure the amount of stress that they have makes all of our stress look non-existent and <laughs> really what's yeah. going on. What, uh, you know, when you're talking to these, you know, amazing men and women, how are you helping them look at things more simply? Well, look, I think the one of the things that I think is really hard for people to find in the world we live in, live in finding a, like a force of competition, a force to innovate, a force to do better, that's, you know, really easy. I think it's more the intrinsic values. I think being noticed for the people they really are and the personal values that really matter to them most. I mean, they all have goals and parts of their life that they want to be doing better. Some of it may be related to their work, but often it's related to things outside of their work. And I will tell you in, you know, one of, I think it's just being ready to listen. I think, you know, it's to kind of listen what matters uh, to that particular person in, in front of you. But I think as a former athlete, one of the things I'm really mindful of with clients is that uh, if they have a problem at a certain point of the day, let's just say that, you know, when they, when a doctor comes home from work, they want to be, when they walk into the home, they want to be more present and mindful, uh, for their family, right? Like you, anyone can imagine that. And you can imagine just the intense schedule of a doctor that it's not always easy to do. Well, for me, yeah, uh, it, the, pragmatic thing to do would be well like let's really figure out what's happening at 7 30 at night when you're walking in the door i think the counterintuitive thing to do is like let's really kind of look at what's happening how you're managing your energy from the moment you wake up you know it's at six in the morning to the way you're kind of uh, expending energy and replenishing energy throughout the day so that when we arrive to this really important moment of the day, 7.30 at night, that you determined was important, you know, how it, can we help you have the capacity, the self-awareness, and to be, to be present, you know, to do the things that really matter to you. And that if you actually kind of put yourself in a position where say you have like an 80% chance of kind of scoring yourself on a, you know, an eight, nine or 10 out of a 10 on a scale of 10, uh, that you would feel good about that, that, okay, we can work with that. Like, those are things that we can improve upon. It doesn't happen overnight, but that's a pretty good example of, you know, of, of just one way that we might work with people. But you just can't, you can't put a price on what it means for some people to be mindful and present for their children and for their family when they walk in the door after work. And if you think about the barriers and the junk 
that gets in the way of those moments happening. Okay, if it happens once or twice, you know, a month, you know, you can work with that. But when it begins to happen four, five, six days a week out of seven, and that happens, you know, month after month, year after year, yeah, your kids grow up and it has an effect on, you know, the life that everyone lives and wants to live. And we just try to find ways to have conversations about that in a very confidential and, and trusting environment. And what strategies would you give someone like that? To well, be more present, you know, and, you know, and to be there. Well, I know look, that's I mean, a big thing. No, I, um, I, what I would say that one of the first things that I'm always, it's always trying to find out where people are um, in certain rotations of their life. You know, you want to get a good snapshot of kind of where they are. But any time when I, I sort of hear that someone has a deep desire or a goal or an objective to execute something that involves uh, other people, which by the way, you know, you know, relationships with other people, whether it's clients, family, um, students, it can be anything. Those are important. I know that if we want to bring our best selves forward to a relationship uh, situation, that we also have to take a look at how we are taking care of ourselves. Like there are these things that we can, we have more control of um, in our lives than, than others. So I want to get that sense of how they're doing on self-investment. So you might remember a few minutes ago, I talked about these big whitewater river situations that we actually practice by going into flat water, right? Where the, we can really in, uh, control the circumstances. I can tell you for me in my life, my flat water uh, warm-up routine every morning, I just have a set of practices that I do that are very self-investing. You know, I do a little meditation, I do a little yoga, I do some writing, eventually I go for a run. Um, but there are these things that allow me to listen to my own voice and invest in my own values before I let other voices in. So that later in the day, if I have goals and objectives that involve uh, other people and being more available and better positioned to serve other people, I know that I, that I have a better chance of doing that if I have invested in myself. So strategically, you're, you know, to your question, I'm trying to get a read on how people are taking care of themselves, you know, and, you know, are they really burning the candle from both ends? And if so, we got to figure out some ways to really get some self-care in there. Then we can come back to being more mindful for their kids. Like that'll, you'll have a much better chance of doing that if, you know, you have a good self-care routine. Right. No, and that's so important, right? It's sort of having that self-care routine because you know that you're taking care of yourself and whatever happens outside of that is, uh, you know, a totally different ballgame, right? You can't control that, but you can control what's happening inside. Well, and then, so, and now let's even move it into some of the people who we know are listening to this podcast, like people who actually like, who actually have pretty good self-care routines, right? We have a lot of people who listen that are training for marathons, that are training for bike races, that, you know, we, we know from LinkedIn, like, we have a lot of competitors that listen to this podcast. So, like, sometimes you'll come across people who have um, a good self-care routine, but like I'll notice that there's like a lot of measuring, right? They're, they're measuring, you know, they're wearing their, you know, heart rate monitors, they're using measuring apps, they're wearing Apple watches and 
um, they're measuring a lot of things. And so one of the things that I've kind of become more mindful of that, you know, sometimes the metrics that we're measuring can become like weight, you know, almost like bearing down on us. So if someone is doing like five or six workouts a week and they're measuring all of them and they're examining the data, one of my questions might be like, hey, what would happen if you just left all the measuring devices at home and you just went for a run in the woods or you went for a mountain bike rides in the woods, you know, and you just kind of listen to nature or you listen to your body or just notice what you notice when you don't notice the numbers. And so, yeah, I mean, I just think things come up with, with different people. People are in different stages and it's not like one is more right than the others. I think it's just trying to help people see things differently and, and not only hear like what they want to do, but maybe try to be mindful of what's kind of weighing you down a little bit. And we live in this day and age where it is so easy to capture statistics and information and metrics. You know, I, I'm really extreme on this point now. I, I run almost six day, five, six days a week and I don't measure anything. I don't wear a watch. I don't take an app. I don't do anything. But I, I don't think that's the right way for everyone. But it gives me a perspective on what's happening in the world of not measuring. So even when I have a conversation with people like that, I, I think that that becomes an interesting thing to think about. It's just kind of looking for those little snapshots of where people are in, are in their lives. No, I'm right there with you. I do the same thing. It's uh, It's... I, I was last year I was all into like the whole Strava thing and everything else and right threw that out the window and when I was really racing and training all the time I would never I started I would wear a heart rate monitor and look at speed and everything else and you become way more dialed in without that and if you look at the you know you look at the kid who just won the Tour de France on his yeah in the, in the time trial on the last day he took off his power meter, his heart rate monitor, everything, and went purely by feel. And it became, it was a game changer. And then he won by, you know, over, he won by a minute and made up two minutes, right? During the whole thing. Yeah. Because he went inside versus external. Yeah. By the way, the greatest Tour de France ever. That was an amazing, amazing uh, uh, tour this year. Look, I, I think it's, it's really important. I know it's, it's hard. I, and, you know, I, I believe in data and, and I think it's great, but it's like anything. It's like too much of any one thing is just, it's too much, you know, it's, uh, and, and I would say the same thing about not measuring. And I'm sure that, you know, I think the way we kind of arrive at where we are is that for me to be at a place where I run every day without data, it, you can believe that there was a stage in my life where I ran with too much data. But when I go to the river to coach canoeing athletes, um, I'm one. I'm the I'm the coach that doesn't bring a stopwatch, you know, because I want to be able to ask my athlete a question. If they paddle a certain section of the, of the river of the channel, and I say, "How do you feel?" and they don't have a time to reference whether they went faster or slower then their answer gets really interesting. You know, they have to sort of get in touch with a part of their, their, their senses that have nothing to do with information. And I think there's a lot of cyclists that, um, uh, that feel like this is a bit of a lost art. 
And we even, Johan Bernil talked about on his podcast uh, during the Tour de France that, uh, that so many of these riders have so much information so they know exactly how hard that they can go. And the problem is, is that they know exactly how hard they can go. And that almost becomes like a ceiling for them. So they can know they can go harder to that ceiling, but they become scared to go more. So we, we got to practice both ways, you know, and I think that's, there's an answer in there. It's not to do one or the other, but it's just to be open to both. And that's exactly what it is. I think because sometimes you, you, you take off the heart rate monitor and you can actually go way harder. Right. And it's, it's all of a sudden your bought your mind knows you're in race mode. And that's what you actually trained for, right? Is, is to go beyond what you need to. Yeah. I, I mean, I, it's just, it's a pleasure just to kind of, you know, um, you know, the things you notice when you don't notice numbers, you know, and, uh, I think it's just, it, there's something in there about that, not just in sort of learning new, deeper levels to which you can go, but you just begin to see the beauty of life again in, in a different way. And, you know, if, if, if numbers and metrics aren't adding to that in your life, that's that moment to kind of hit the pause button and say like, you know, not to eliminate numbers and data and metrics, but how can we pull back on them a little bit and open up just a little bit more nature into our lives, you know? And, and I think that's, you know, even a, probably a, kind of a good final point to touch upon with people who, you know, love to exercise outside that, you know, we, we all want to be better at relationships. We want to have like better quality relationships with the people in our lives. And that is, there's a lot that goes into that, but I, I've, one of the things that I think is so cool about life at 51 <laughs> is that uh, to me, nature is its own, is like its own relationship. It's like, I look at my time outside when I go for a run or I go for a walk or I just sit and read or write or take photos out in nature as something that it's like the more that I put into it, the more I get out of it. And I think we, we can look at our most favorite relationships in the world and it kind of feels like that. The more I put into it, the more I get out of it. And so, yeah, I don't think nature is just this surface level um, thing to just go disconnect and unplug. It can be, but there's even a deeper place for it. And now it's like, there's no limits to what you can do within nature. And we know it's kind of good for the body. It's good for the mind. It's good for the spirit. And, uh, you know, it's a good point in which to reflect and s simplify, slow down, and do less. No, exactly. Exactly. And Joe, we're coming up here over a half an hour. This has gone super fast. Talk to us about <laughs> yes. where people can find you, where they can find more about you, if they want to reach out to you, how can they connect with you? Yeah, absolutely. First of all, thank you for this. Um, I do write a weekly uh, newsletter on Sunday morning. Uh, it's not a business development newsletter. It is. I just write Sunday Morning Joe, which is about um, performing your best, overcoming challenge, and aligning with purpose. And I've been. I just started my. I think it's my sixth year of writing Sunday Morning Joe, and uh, I took a little break during the summer. But you can subscribe to that at free at joejacobi.com, J-O-E-J-A-C-O-B-I.com, and also check out valorperform.com. We. Um, if you're interested in performance coaching and uh, being coached, you know, by athletes and uh, working with athletes and sports psychologists, 
you know, we, we work with organizations, but uh, we're starting to work with individuals now too at Valor and which is a really exciting change. You should have Sarah back on the podcast sometimes to talk more about that, Ken. And, uh, but yeah, ValorPerform.com is a great place to uh, see where I am and what I'm doing as well. So uh, yeah, and connect with me on LinkedIn and on your group on LinkedIn. Perfect. No, Joe, this is awesome. I really appreciate it. And hopefully a lot of listeners just sort of, you know, understand sometimes it's best to step back and go by feel and yeah. that's in business life and everything. And like you were saying, you get so stuck in the numbers that yes, the numbers don't lie, but sometimes they actually do. So it's, uh, you know, keep up the good work, keep doing what you're doing. I love what you're doing. And it's been a pleasure to have you on. Thank you, Ken. Absolutely. My pleasure. And if anyone has any questions, comments, feedback, would like to get in touch with Joe directly, um, feel free to reach out to me as well at Ken at executiveathletes.com. Thanks for listening. Go out there. Keep on crushing it. I really appreciate you listening. Thank you.